I kind of thought, well, this must be monumentally hard because to me it was such an obvious idea, like a social media tool that stores your updates. But I had honestly assumed that someone would have done it already. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. A few months ago, I'm clicking around on the internet and I come across this article written by today's guest. And let me just quote her before we get started. Even now, though we've hit over 100K monthly recurring revenue in less than a year, I still feel like an outsider. I created a crunch-based profile, but I couldn't add any events since we haven't raised money, gotten acquired, or done an incubator or accelerator. The tech world doesn't celebrate our kind of victory. Well, we do. I actually emailed the author of this post, Laura Roeder, and I said, can you please tell this story to DCers at DCBKK? And she said yes, much to the delight of DCBKK attendees and gave a great keynote at the event. This is the first of a series of interviews of DCBKK attendees and speakers that we were able to get on the program. I want to hear a little bit of the backstory of Meet Edgar because, Laura, you had this personal brand online for a long time, and then now you have this brand where I don't see your face. Right. And so, you know, tell me a little bit about the motivations to create this other brand. I think I know what some of them are, but you were telling me earlier today, like I had this idea about getting away from my business and making more money. And so it seems like with the consultancy agency, it's much harder to do that. Yeah, it was very deliberate to move away from a personal brand. So with my info product business, it was all about me as I'm Laura, I'm friendly, I'm teaching you about social media. And I built a sort of scalable business because it was selling training, it was selling information products. But me being so front and center, it wasn't a business that could ever be sold. For example, it was a business that I could maybe take a month away from, but not actually say, okay, team, go and grow this thing without me. Why is that the case, though? Because I've been following you since the 2011 Mixergy interview. I thought you smoked it because everybody's going on that show talking about raising money. You're like dropping your income numbers. And I was like, wow, that was awesome. Because I would always have to play a role the way that it was structured. Because, for example, like I was actually teaching the content. It was classes, right? Someone had to teach them and I was the spokesperson teaching them. So I could build the kind of business where maybe other people could do everything else, but I would still have to show up and teach the classes and just other little details. Like we had a newsletter and the little intro of the newsletter was like a little snippet about my life every week. And I didn't really want to do that anymore. I'm not a person who really shares a lot of my life online. I don't mind doing it, but I'm also not someone who's actively really wanting to do that. Let's start with Edgar. Can you explain what it does and what the customers like about it? Edgar is social media scheduling and automation software. What's really different about Edgar is we store all of your updates in a library and then cycle through them over and over again. So the most obvious use case is if you've been doing a blog or a podcast for many, many years and you have your whole big library of content that you've worked really hard to build and you want it to go out regularly on social media. The other tools don't offer an easy way to do that. You still have to load it up manually over 
and over again with other tools. So with Edgar, you say, hey, Edgar, here's all my old blog posts. Go through them. And then he does it for you. Really? Really. With Edgar then, which is obviously like a really attractive business model. Like you look at that and you're like, well, that's sweet. So was that the motivation to start Edgar or was it the idea first? You know what I mean? Were you like looking at ideas like this or like, so which came first? Both. I had definitely been interested in doing software for a long time because I think software and SaaS in particular is a great business model. I never had the idea that I felt was strong enough until we did an information product called Social Brilliant where we taught the workflow manually like the way that Edgar repeats content is what we were manually teaching people to do. Right. And then it took meeting my husband, who's a Ruby on Rails developer. He was like, I could build that software in a weekend that does that. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get married. <laughs> Let's get married. Let's have a baby. Let's make it real. <laughs> this is a cheap way to get this done. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I had sort of thought about it being software, but I had honestly assumed that someone would have done it already. Not being a Ruby on Rails developer, not being a software developer, I kind of thought, well, this must be monumentally hard because to me, it was such an obvious idea, like a social media tool that stores your updates. Why do you think that no one's done it? The storage part is so bizarre to me that other tools don't do Why it, at they least copied store you? them. I'm sure people will copy us more. It's a little more difficult to copy than you initially think because Edgar runs on a totally different paradigm for how to send out your social media because other tools, if you're not uploading it to a library, how are you going to do that algorithm of sending it out over and over again? Once you start thinking it through, it's sort of complicated. So I want to back up just a second here because we're getting into Edgar and it's an amazing product and everything. But this lead up to me is fairly interesting. So all of a sudden you have this amazing business, but really you'd been working for seven to 10 years before to get to this point where all of a sudden this aha moment happens. Yeah, absolutely. And building something that I could step out of was extremely deliberate. For me, it was really motivated by having kids. I have an eight month old now and I've always known that I wanted to have kids. And when it happened, I wanted to be able to take off for months at a time and have a lot of flexibility with how I ran the business. So I have had this very deliberate progression of moving from design to consulting to information products, which I did for many years, because it is a more scalable model than consulting. And I built it to a degree where I wasn't running all the day to day, but it was something that I definitely couldn't just say, I'm gone for six months. And not only is it going to exist, but it's going to thrive without me. That was a big goal for me. I want what I think of as like a real business with a real team where I'm going to go away and it's not just going to sort of coast and they're not going to like, oh, I hope they don't burn it down, but they're actually going to make it better. You've been doing it for just over a year. Do you feel like that's possible now? Like theoretically? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what we have. That's exactly what we have on the team now. So why do you think this happens? When you built your first product, you probably had a dream there and your second product, it was a dream, but unfortunately you were wrapped up in it. I mean, when you built LKR, did you think, you know, this is my dream. And then you got there and you thought, well, this is my dream, but plus I want this. So now that you're at Edgar and you're getting to leave, do you have another dream in mind or is this kind of the end goal? I think I see things in much smaller steps than that at the time. You know, when I was building information products, I wasn't thinking this is my ultimate dream in life, nor was I thinking this is almost my dream, but not quite right. I think I saw that afterwards. It's like, okay, here's what I like and here's what I don't like about this business model and this business that I'm in. So I'll always find ways to make the business more interesting to me. It's not just the dream isn't to never work again. It's to make work that I really love and is really interesting. What was the dream at the very beginning? Like for me, I was like in a cubicle wanting to be out of it 
and not have other people control my hours is like a very basic thing that then motivated me to take on the humiliation of living on my parents' couch. So do you have a parents' couch in your history or what was like sort of the first thing that you did? For me, the motivation was actually the career progression. So I was like a very ambitious to you, basically, because I quit my first job because I was a junior graphic designer and I wanted to be more involved with like marketing strategy and clients and stuff like that. And I saw that I had this long ladder ahead of me that I had to climb this 10 year like junior designer, designer, senior designer, creative director. And I was like, well, if I quit and I work for myself, I'll do all the parts of the business from day one. And I thought that sounded really, really interesting and much more interesting than just being a designer. So that was my big motivation. That's a huge leap. Yeah. (laughs) How did you do that? When you think about it, design is really creating a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm over here. I have the same story, right? It's like you see this ladder and you think like, I'm not going to go through all that. People like lawyers probably go through the same thing. They say like, oh, a partner is going to take me 15 years. I'll just start my own law firm tomorrow. How about that, guys? Really? So you're looking at all this and you're like, I'm just going to start my own thing. No big deal. Who planted the idea? I grew up in a family that ran a business. So I think that was a huge mental shortcut for me. So my dad is an architect and my mom kept the books. Mostly just he had employees for a time, but then like... Cooked the books or kept the books? Kept the books, (laughs) didn't didn't cook the books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I think that made it a lot easier for me because it didn't seem so crazy to me to work for myself because that's how my family had always made money growing up. And my dad is very different from me. Like I wouldn't call my dad an entrepreneur. He's someone who loves his craft. He loves being an architect and he loves getting to do that all the time and working with clients that he likes and things like that, where I like building the bigger business and building the bigger team. So I didn't have the exact model of what I'm doing now, but I did have the model of working for yourself is not the most insane thing in the world. So now you're working in Edgar and I think you told me a number, I can't remember what it is, the amount of hours that you work per week, but you're basically in charge of marketing. Yeah, I work 20 hours a week. Okay, so you work 20 hours a week, but you're basically doing your dream job or what you imagined yourself as that junior designer. You're actually doing it for yourself. The company is yours. How do you view this marketing position now? Is it something that you think you'll stick with? That's been a challenge. You know, what I tend to do in my business is kind of dive in and out. And basically, I'll think, okay, I'm too involved. I'm always worried about bottlenecking the business. Like, that's how I've always built it. That's how I've hired people is looking at where am I the bottleneck? Where am I the bottleneck? Replacing that. So I'll get worried about that. And then I'll have other people take over everything. And then I'll get bored. And I'll think like, what do I do all day? (laughs) You know, I want to be in this business too. This looks fun. (laughs) So then I'll kind of dive back in. So right now, I'm heading up marketing. But that also means I'm doing like a lot of little details that are kind of boring and that I don't super love doing, but it's also fun running the team. So I know that in the future, I'll be, I think, kind of a higher level strategic role. But I mean, I really love marketing. That's the most fun part of the business to me. So you think for you, you know, you always maybe not even be CEO, but you always kind of be in charge of marketing. Is that where you see yourself in the future? I don't know. It's a huge mental challenge to me to have someone else run it. I think that's the next big mental block that I need to get past. Like somebody actually running the company, you mean, or marketing? Running marketing, actually. Yeah, I can picture someone running the company. Well, because there's a woman who runs like the day-to-day operations, the company already. So I see her as running the company in a lot of ways. And she makes a lot of high-level decisions as well. So that I'm like, oh, Sarah can do that. I thought you were going to say money. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah can do that. But the marketing, like having someone totally make all the strategic decisions is hard for me to imagine. Because you're so good at it, right? 
Yeah, but that's like, I know logically I'm not the best person in the world or like the only person who's good at marketing. Right. Yeah, it's the same thing that happens with the design stuff, right? So it's like you start off as a designer and you think only you can design it and then, you know, you hire somebody and then they start doing the graphics. You're like, wow, this lady's better than me. There's this theory that Vern Harnish has that he says in companies that are like 50 people or below, how many people work for? We have 13. 13. He says that what ends up happening is like the strength of the founder ends up being the weakness of the company. Mm. Your company could potentially have a bad marketing department because you're such a great marketer. Wait, I don't understand. Why does that happen? I guess the founder doesn't make it a priority to externalize that skill set. Yeah, I could see that. Imagine it happening a lot with like really good salespeople. They just like always brought in the clients. So if they leave, then there wasn't a process there. Or a lot of founders, I see people having a hard time hiring because they have this idea of how it should be done. But it's like, are you actually doing that? People are like, oh, I could do sales better than they could. It's like, well, that's nice, but you're sort of busy and you're not actually doing sales. So someone who's actually going to do it is going to do a better job. So. so how do you know if you're doing a good job? Like, what do you guys look at? on your weekly meetings or... I mean, marketing is pretty easy because that's do we have customers. I mean, you know, customer service affects that as well and the product affects that as well. But I mean, the core of marketing is leads basically, right? Like, are we getting leads every day? You don't look at like how much money you're making? No, I like like at all those. (laughs) I look at all those things and we try to, you know, we've played around with different metrics for the team. Right now, we're just looking at total customers. I think that's a nice one for the whole team because you can imagine humans. You know, right now we have about 3,000 customers. So the team can imagine like 3,000 humans in a room using Edgar. And I think that's very motivating to think, okay, we want to affect, you know, 5,000 humans in a room next. Have you thought about doing like an event like this for your, it's probably a terrible idea, but have you thought about it? These things aren't very profitable, are they? They're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We talked about it over lunch. So Laura, tell us a little bit about your team because you have 13 people. That's a lot of responsibility. I've definitely been there. You know, are they with you wherever you are? Are they dispersed? Tell us a little about them. Yeah, everyone's remote. So we are all North America based, all US, and we've got one Canadian now. So we have worked with people outside of that time zone range before and found it really, really difficult. It's a lot easier when you're working remotely to only have that, you know, three hour window. I've always done it that way. People working from home, people working remotely. You can find much better talent that way because the pool is so much larger. So how do you guys communicate? How do you guys keep in touch? How do you guys monitor each other's workflow? Yeah, so we do a lot of Google Hangouts. I think face-to-face meetings are really important when you're working remotely. And then we just do, you know, Slack, email, what everybody else does. How often do you guys meet up? In person, we meet up. We're changing it to twice a year. We used to do once a year. And then we have all hands meetings every Monday where everyone at the company is on a video chat together. And then Really? What do they say? We do our top ones for the week. I mean, we're still small enough for this. This will fade soon. But for now, every person in the company says like their top priority for the week. And then we just give little like department updates, anything else that's going on company wide that everyone needs to know about. When I was having these meetings, like I only talked to department heads, basically, and our company was essentially the same size as yours. I didn't do the group meetings because I didn't feel like they were very productive. Is it that you guys are just all working on one common goal, one common KPI that it makes sense to all come together? Or how do you see that working out? No, we find that it's useful just for sort of ambient information because different departments affect each other so much. So much is very intricately linked. Things like customer service, of course, they just need to be aware of every detail because people email like, you know, is the webinar happening at this hour or that hour or does this work in Chrome or not, right? They just need to know every detail of everything that's happening from every department. And then there's often synchronicity between, I mean, basically our departments are customer service development marketing. And, you know, marketing needs to know what Dev is working on, right? 
accused of. They don't really need to know everyone else so much. They sort of weren't humorous and listening to us, but we really need to know what they're working on. So I think having that flow of information is important that everyone can keep up with what everyone else is doing. You know, one of the differences I was thinking about this is it's like approximating the office and you had an office. So there was like that buzz there of like, oh, I know what they're up to. And I think it's interesting about this kind of location independent thing is everybody's trying to like virtualize the office and have all these new rules. And it's like everybody does it a different way. The one thing that really affected us is the time zone thing. I felt so isolated from you guys like the latter half of last year because, you know, all of our team members basically moved to Austin. That made me think a lot about the value of offices, which is crazy thought. <laughs> I mean, everybody's in the same time zone or basically within three hours for you too. And I think that's kind of the new rule, right? Is like you can work from anywhere as long as it's within a three hour time zone window. Yeah. We've started saying stuff like that. Yeah, and the Monday meetings, yeah, if you had a real office, right, you guys are going to lunch together. The problem with a virtual office is someone from the development team and the marketing team might literally never talk if you didn't consciously engineer these situations where they're going to talk. Right. And so do you lead these meetings or I'm trying to get an idea if like you're kind of the CEO figure? I really don't do any sort of day-to-day operations stuff. We have someone who we call a project manager. So she leads meetings. She does anything that has to do with sort of the day-to-day getting work done in the company. And then I do look at that stuff in marketing, but we're very self-managed in the sense that like we have Tom who writes our blog. No one approves anything, you know, that Tom does. Tom is in charge of the blog and he writes all the articles and, and he makes all the decisions. So it's not like someone is managing what he's doing. People have their areas and, and they do them. So in terms of like goal setting though, how does that work? I mean, if you're going to say like, we're doing $7 million next year, I mean, who's the one that says that? Is it Tom? So we are kind of weird about goals, actually. We're not big goal setters because we kept finding that we would set these goals that everyone felt were sort of arbitrary because there would be these random events. So we'd set a goal like we want to get this many, you know, new customers in this week, right? Like that's a pretty basic goal to set. And then we'd have like we got featured on this Virgin Startups Hangout. Anyway, we got like a big media opportunity. So we got a ton of new customers that week. But that was no one controlled that, you know, or like our search rankings drop for one term and then our customers go down and no one controlled that either. So we felt like it was sort of arbitrary. So instead of goals, we've actually moved more just towards the track how things are going and more thinking from the perspective of everyone doing their best work and everyone improving their own processes and improving the processes across the company. I think that makes sense. You know, when we had goals in the company and we dropped it probably two or three years ago, it created a lot of anxiety in people too, right? Because if you don't hit the goals, then what are the repercussions going to be when that happens? And so I think you're right to move towards this like, hey, let's just track what's going on. But here's a question that I have about that. We were doing the same thing, but we were seeing somewhere between 30 and 50% year over year growth. So it's all great to just track track our progress, but what happens when things go down? And my guess is that your curve is going up right now. Exactly. We haven't had that. Maybe when we have that problem, we'll start setting goals. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, we've had that same luxury of everything's going well. Right. It'll be interesting to see. Hopefully it won't happen. It seems like, you know, from following you online over the years that like you've been really successful for a really long time now. What's like a behind the interwebs moment when the dark like, side. it was really challenging for you? Yeah. It's funny. I'm a extremely optimistic person and I genuinely like people are like every downfall is an opportunity, but I see it that way so much. I genuinely have trouble remembering things that have gone wrong. Like recently we ran an experiment with our funnel for Edgar starting people on a free trial instead of requesting an invitation, which is what we usually do. It 
has not gone well. Like we're still playing with it as I speak, but it's definitely been a failure. We're trying to find the specific failure points to figure out the best way to improve it. But, you know, we've lost real money during this time because we've gotten a lot less customers than we used to. So it's definitely a failure, but I'm glad that we ran that experiment because it's something we'd always wondered about because we're like every other SaaS business starts with a free trial. You know, why don't we do that? So I'm really glad that we tried. So that's why I don't have a lot of like doom and gloom stories. It's not like everything works out far from it. It's just I genuinely am like, oh, I'm really glad that we found out how that went. How about like maybe a story of desperation or something like that? Like uh, when anything we can put on <laughs> Let's go to the next a, level down. Like when you had your personal branded company, you know, and you're trying to think like, how am I going to turn this into something that I don't have to show up for every day? Like how long did you exist in that purgatory and what were you thinking? It wasn't that way though, because I always feel like the next thing will come when it does. And I'm extremely open to opportunities. And that's kind of how I live my life and how I run my business. You know, I'm here in Bangkok with you guys because you emailed me and I thought it sounded fun. So now here I am. I feel like just that's how everything happens. So are you interested in being a life coach? (laughs) Because I think there's opportunities for you in that space. (laughs) It just really is how I see things. So I actually try not to stress about figuring things out I just have never found it's like when you're in that feeling like you're spinning your wheels and you're like what's it gonna be what's it gonna be I don't know if that works for other people it doesn't work for me it just makes me upset but it doesn't produce any good answers where being more in the space of like all right let's see what unfolds so I don't go to conferences and I know that you go to a handful of conferences like tell us about how that works tell us about the conference game like how do you choose what to go to and do you have a few stories of like people that you bumped into that it ended up being a really good thing for you. By the way, here, before you answer that question, the only reason Laura told me that she came to this conference is so she could convince us to be on the podcast because (laughs) there's this long banter that's been going back and forth. The pre-show where Laura swears that she asked to be on the show and twice. twice. And y'all said no. You didn't even not write back. You were like, no. We said no. You said no. Hold on. Specifically we or Dan? I think Dan. Did I say no or did I use a bunch of words that approximated You used a bunch of words. Okay. (laughs) You were doing this right like, nope. Although actually that might have been funner. (laughs) So it wasn't on purpose. I just want you to know, at least for me, obviously I didn't say the no. It was Dan that said no. I didn't CC you on that one. No, you didn't CC (laughs) But she's here now. So you came to this conference and you told me this before when we met at MicroConf that you go to a bunch of conferences. And what's the reason for that? Well, I'm going to get real serious here with this one. I've thought about this a lot since Scott Densmore passed away. I'm sure a lot of people listening, you know, knew Scott's work if they didn't know Scott. So Scott is someone that I met through conferences. I think I first met him at World Domination Summit. And when he died, Chase Reeves wrote a blog post and it said, Scott was a friend who, if I invited him to my wedding, he'd be at the internet friends table. And he said, but actually, if I think about it, most of my friends would be at the internet friends table. So it was so sad when he passed away. And that really struck me. You know, you guys are internet friends and now we've gotten to hang out a little bit, right? And so many of my friends I've met at conferences. And I think I've sort of in the past felt like this is sort of silly that I like to go to conferences, you know, like it's sort of like a waste of time and money. And with Scott, it really made me think like it's really not silly at all. I've met some of the most incredible people in my life and some really close friends because we all, you know, run businesses or digital nomads or whatever. And this is a really important way for me to spend my time. Like, 
being around friends. That's a great way to spend your life, you know? It really made me reflect on that. And I like being around interested, like-minded people. And conferences can be a great way to find them. We've been criticized before, actually, for the DC and the conference. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just Dan and Ian hanging out with 250 of their closest friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's exactly right. It's one time a year where we can all get together and everybody gets to see each other again and just really stop what they're doing in their business and say like, hey, these people are important to me. I might only get to see them once or twice a year, but like this is a relationship that I want to keep going forward. It's reassuring to hear you say that because that's exactly the feeling that I have being here. And I wasn't sure if it's just me hanging out with my friends, but I definitely have felt that this week. You know, like I was just like, I'm having so much fun right now. This is great. I want to ask you a question. I'm curious about your reading habits. Yeah. I want to know what books have inspired you or what blogs that you enjoy reading. I definitely read a lot of business books. My husband makes fun of me because he's like just now kind of started. I'm always like, read it, read it. I'll tell you when it's in it. That was no good. So I've read, I've read, I would say just about all the classics. Like he was asking me the other day, he's like, do you know about this book called Positioning? And I was like, every marketer has read Positioning. I'm like, I'll tell you the seven things that are in it. So yeah, I enjoy a good business book. I'm a big Vern Harnish fan. Actually, you mentioned Vern earlier. I love business books and I love memoirs. Not like celebrity memoirs, just those kind where people just sort of tell the story of their life. I used to not read any fiction at all and now I'm trying to like not just read business and marketing books. But I love, you know, I watched actually something on the plane that's like my absolute favorite. It was this documentary about this woman that started a fruit import company. Her name is Frida and she was a pioneer of women in the fruit industry. Wow. <laughs> I was very inspired. Did you cry? <laughs> I did cry because do you know how easy it is to cry on an airplane movie like, oh my gosh <laughs> i almost cried this flight and i almost cry every flight it doesn't matter if i'm watching i could be watching an action film and i'll almost cry <laughs> jason statham or whatever his name is he like there's gets shot something I'm, I'm, I'm about it you're like right in front of the screen and i don't know what it is but there's something very important in this movie which is just that she was the first one to package produce like with branding on it no one had done that before like she put her brand on the produce and she coined kiwi fruit they were called chinese gooseberries but they come from new zealand so she's like no one's gonna buy a chinese gooseberry let's <laughs> <laughs> like kiwi fruit. So I love, love, love learning about other industries because you always get little ideas like that. You always hear like, oh, they hadn't done packaging before. That's so interesting because I think that's what it's all about, doing things in your industry that other people aren't doing, but it can feel so scary and people act like you're so stupid for doing it. They're kind of like, no, everyone knows this is the way that it's done. Is there something you're doing like that with Edgar right now? I mean, marketing it, I think is the biggest thing we're doing. Like I've definitely taken a lot from the internet marketing world and put it on a software and you know building a list like I was saying most SaaS you just go to the website and you can start a free trial but there's no like sign up for our list and get ongoing information which is just sort of huge like online marketing 101 and right. it's been really valuable for Edgar a lot of people aren't doing that if you were walking down the street listening to the Tropical MBA podcast who would you be most delighted to hear as a guest I know Derek Sivers was at one of your conferences. Have yeah. you had him on? Not yet. I love him. Yes. He would be a good guest. Absolutely. That's a great suggestion. We should get Derek on the show. He'll probably say no. He has a great blog post about basically saying no to That's going to be tough to take. It's going to be tough if he says no. Yeah. Thank you, Laura, for joining <laughs> us on the show. <laughs> Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> 
hope you can tell from the interview that we had a great time hanging out with Laura at DCBKK. We'd love to hear your comments about her story or business philosophy. You can click through on your phone or go to your browser, tropicalmba.com slash Laura. On every post, we have a comment section, a place where you can leave a voicemail, or an email link where you can email the producer of this show. We'll be back next Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.